If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Uh, so today we're going to be in First uh, Kings 19, and... Just to kind of go over what we talked about the last two weeks, uh, we, we went through some Old Testament characters, and I, I'd like to get to some New Testament characters, but we started with Job, um, and we talked about all the struggles that he faced and uh, how Satan tested him, tempted him. Then we last week talked about Moses, and Moses had this issue of uh, feeling like he had self-esteem issues. He didn't really want to go to Egypt. He really didn't think he was the right person. He says, I can't speak. I'm not a public speaker. And he constantly gives all the excuses, but yet God says, you can. You can absolutely go and bring my people out. Um, and then also he had some issues with his family because his sister and his brother didn't like the fact that he was in an interracial marriage. So we talked a little bit about that too. Um, and then David, uh, he struggles with his anxiety on and off throughout the text of Scripture, especially in the Psalms, because he's struggling with his enemies constantly. He's, he, he was, uh, I'm not going to say he was paranoid, but it seems like there are times that he thinks the enemy's closing in when they're really not. And um, so we addressed that last week, and he's just, he seems to be in a state of depression a lot, especially after the sin with Bathsheba. He has a hard time forgiving himself. So those are all things that would contribute to, to just difficult mental health. Uh, and I'll say again, as I said a couple times, this doesn't necessarily mean that we're able to clinically diagnose some of these people, but we are able to see by their patterns of behavior uh, similar patterns that we might show when it comes to mental health issues. So today we want to talk about Elijah. Elijah is uh, one of the great prophets from the Old Testament. He, we always think about him, you know, in the chariot uh, and the flaming fire going up into the sky, which is a great story. But there's so much to Elijah's story that we may miss. And part of it is Elijah, I think, suffered from loneliness. Uh, he struggled. There's one story we'll see today where he really faces some uh, depression. And we'll, I'll read it and we'll talk about it. But I want to first recognize that in the previous chapters, uh, he goes before Jezebel, and Jezebel has all these prophets, false prophets, and uh, he declares that they're going to worship the Lord God. And, and many of the Israelites at that point had given up to idols. And so he uh, says that it's not going to rain for uh, three years, and he prays, and it doesn't. Uh, and then, then he comes back, and he prays again that it will rain, and it does. But during that drought is when they have the Mount Carmel experience where they have this test between the gods of Baal and between the Lord God uh, and they're supposed to bring down fire from heaven and he dumps water again and again and again and again 12 baskets 12 buckets full again and again on the water on the sacrifice and when God brought the fire down it consumed 
uh, all of the sacrifice. It consumed all of the water, and it says that it licked up every drop in that little uh, 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 valley or canal they put around it. So really a neat story. And so you would think that after those events, like Elijah praying, don't rain, and then the sacrifices and the Mount Carmel, they go kill all the prophets. And he's on a, he's on a spiritual high. But then when the drought ends and the water comes down, we come to chapter 19. Uh, and it says, uh, actually, let me back up to verse, uh, verses 45 and 46 in chapter 18. It says, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And then we go to chapter 19, 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. That's the killing of the prophets and everybody. Also how he'd executed all the prophets with the sword. So he's getting all the credit. Verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, let the, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, Is it enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Now, I want to start, stop there. Well, I want to read the rest here in a minute. But in the first part, part of this, these first few verses, he is in seems to be very depressed. Now, it shocks me that his language is such that you would think he's the one that's defeated at Mount Carmel. Because he says, oh, they've killed all your prophets. No, 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 no. It was the false prophets that were killed. He had the sword and he did it himself. And sometimes you can actually convince yourself, even though there's not anything wrong, you can convince yourself that it is the worst possible situation. I mean, he's a prophet of God. He, he just watched fire come down from heaven. He just prayed for all this time for it not to rain. And then he prays for it to rain. And you stack up all that stuff. And, all he, and he didn't even talk to Jezebel. He talks to a messenger of Jezebel. And this woman says, this time tomorrow you'll be dead. And he's like, oh my goodness, end of the world. And he runs. And uh, it, it really is, uh, it is, it's shocking to me that this man who we hail as such a great hero of the faith, in one moment from a queen in, in writing, you're going to die, that he completely freaks out. He loses it. And when he runs, it says that he abandons his servant in one city. In other words, he, he wants to be alone. So this is, this is important. When he hits this valley of loneliness here in a minute, he brought this on himself. He could have had somebody with him, 
but he chose to separate himself. And sometimes whenever we're frustrated and, and sad, we kind of, we, there's a, um, uh, a, a term we use in, in, uh, in this, and it's you become a turtle. Literally, you become a turtle. You get in your shell, and you don't want anybody to bother you. You just kind of want to keep to yourself. And that isolation is our own fault. Because there are people around us. I mean, he, if he had stayed in Jerusalem, he just killed all the false prophets. What's he worried about? The queen? He's been spared by God time and time again. But his fear of this woman drives him almost insane. And so he abandons his servant. And then he goes farther and farther away from Jerusalem, which is where he's supposed to be ministering. And he basically goes into hiding. And then you see this twice where this angel comes to him and says... Now, how, how, how depressed, how lonely, how sad are you that, that it takes an angel to bake on coals of fire bread next to your head and you don't even know they're there? He does not even recognize. How long? It says that he, the angel baked it on coals of fire. Well, who built the fire? Where'd the food come from? Where'd the bread come from? Where'd the drink come from? Where's the jar of water come from? The angel has surrounded Elijah for some time and he hadn't even paid attention to it. He's not even noticing what's going on in his own little world. Because once you clam up into that shell and you say, I am all alone and nobody loves me. And, you know, it's just I, I don't I'm never going to survive this. And, and life is terrible. If he had just opened his eyes, the angel had been around him for some time. So he eats and he drinks. And then what does he do? He lays back down. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Forgets that the angel had been there. So the angel comes back. Hey, 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 wake up. It's time for you to rise and eat again. So this time, the second time that the angel provides for him, you'd think, well, man, after all of this, notice what the angel says too in verse, um, in, uh, in verse seven. The Lord, angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Okay, what does the angel expect Elijah to do? What does he mean by the journey is too great? The angel's prodding him to get up off of his rear end and go back to where he belongs. Or at least go to Horeb, which is the mountain of God. Get up and move. And some people, when they get to this point of depression where they're in the shell, they just want to lay in bed. Just don't want to talk to anybody. Don't want to do nothing. I just want to lay here and I just want to be miserable in my, in my own misery. And, uh, and again, he has seen the hand of God. He's got this angel speaking to him. What more could God do to get Elijah up off the bed and back to work? I mean, he's done everything he can. And now the angel's saying, you're going to have to eat because you've got to get up and get out of here. You, you've, got to, you've got to get back to work. You cannot lay here and feel sorry for yourself. Now, it, it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, that's totally what you should do. We should never be this depressed but when we're in the moment, there ain't nothing anybody can say to convince us to get up and move. Elijah had gotten into his own head. And his fear of death, his fear of this, this terrible woman, the queen of Israel, has consumed him. And he believes that he'll never survive it. Uh, and this loneliness that he felt was self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. So he says, you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to go. Now it says, so he arose the second time, ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food that had been prepared the second time for 40 days and 40 nights. And he went as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. But then he gets to the mountain of God 
And he walks to the top and says, God, I'm ready to be your servant. No, what does he do? He finds a hole and he crawls in it. He finds a hole, he finds a cave, and he crawls in the cave and he wants to lay down and die at the mountain of God. Now, do you see this pattern? He, he, no matter what the angel does, no matter what God provides, he is so deep in his depression that he will not allow himself to see anything else but, but terrible scenarios. This is, this is again, a, a mental health issue is that we will convince ourselves the world's against us. It's never going to get better. And hey, I'll tell you, I've been there. I, I'm walking it right now. I think, man, it just can't get much worse than this. It just can't, it can't get more difficult than where it is right now. Is it ever going to get any better? And we look at all that negative stuff. Instead of looking at Elijah had, been, had his prayers answered. I don't know anybody's prayed for no rain for three years, three and a half years, and it happened. I don't know anybody's done that. I don't know anybody that's called down fire from heaven before. I don't know anybody that could take a sword and kill 400 people in one day. I mean, all the false prophets are dead. All he's got to deal with is this woman. Uh, and her husband pretty much is worthless. But he finally gets to the mountain of God, and rather than getting up there and saying, God, I'm your servant, I'm ready to work, he just finds a cave and he crawls into it. It's not like you, you get people up, and maybe this happens to us too, you, you pick yourself up and you're like, okay, I'm going to do better, and one thing, just one thing puts you right back in the bed. Just one, one word, one negative thing, I'm done, I'm done. I said I was done, I'm really done this time. I'm, it's over, I'm, I quit, I, I, it's over. That's Elijah. This man who we hail as a great hero of the faith had his moments of depression. Crawls in the cave. He just wants to die. God says, not done with you yet. You ever ask yourself that question? I mean, why me? You know, why, why is this happening to me? Why is it that I have to go through all this? Why can't he just, why can't God just take away the problem? I mean, would, he's God, right? He can take it away. Why can't he just take it away? What's the problem? You know, I, I will do whatever you want, but please take this off my plate. And God doesn't do that. He allows it because he knows Elijah can survive it. And then he says, you know, Elijah, what are you doing here? I love that. What are you doing in this cave? You're at my mountain. What are you doing? And Elijah's like, well, you know, I was, I have been. See that? He talks about it past tense. He doesn't see himself as a great leader anymore. Well, I have been very zealous for you. But the children of yours, those, those children of Israel, they have, boy, they have... They've forsaken your covenant. They've tore down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. He has turned everything that was done by him against the enemy as if it was the opposite. And sometimes we will convince ourselves, if somebody says something, we will convince ourselves that, that it is the flip side. Everything he complains about is what he had done to the enemy. But why is it he's saying they've killed all the prophets? No, Elijah, you killed the false prophets. When you stay in that hole or, or, or you allow yourself to be in that shell that long, you lose sense of reality. He spent 40 days walking there thinking, and he has got himself in such a funk that everything that he could see as good, he now sees as bad. He has redefined all of those things. He has reinvented some history, some story that doesn't even exist. And oftentimes when we're in depression, we will make it out to be worse than it is. We will create a reality that is so far from anything that is real, and we believe it's true. We absolutely believe. Even the things that we were a part of, we will, we will tell ourselves a different story. 
You know, instead of thinking about being loved, we'll think about, well, we're hated. You know, and instead of being, you know, I've got a good job, it's like I have a worthless job. Or I have, you know, I've got a spouse and I've got kids, well, I've got a family that doesn't love me. It's, no matter what it was, Elijah turns it to negative. So what are your thoughts before we get to the, the good part about his behavior, his words, and his relationship with the Lord? Anybody have any thoughts? He not, not only talked about the sword, he also talks about the altar. The altar wasn't torn down. He repaired it. Remember? He fixed the altar. Then had the sacrifice. The altar was delivered. It's easy when you're in that moment of whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Just focus on that. And then, for my own personal self, just focusing on that. Then you turn it and you analyze it in every direction. And then it makes it ten times worse, like you said. Yeah. Definitely. And it's, it is so easy to, like, replay conversations in your mind and you're like, it, they weren't bad to begin with, but after you dissect them, you know, 50 times, it's like, well, maybe she really meant this. You know, maybe it was really, maybe it is my yeah. fault. Maybe I am the bad one, you know. And, yeah. I mean, goodness. It's, I've, this is really interesting to me because I've never... I've read the Bible and studied the Bible before, but I've never seen it like this. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> interesting. Yeah, and, and just like with the other characters, <laughs> this is a part of the story of God for a reason. These chapters, uh, they why would God put, this is another reason why I totally believe that it is, in, I don't know how he makes it the Bible isn't inspired, because if I were writing a book about about what God would want for the world, it would be all good stuff. I wouldn't put stuff like this in here. But, but God has this part of the story so that we'll relate to Elijah. So that we'll say, hey, yeah, he had his spiritual eyes, but he had not only the highs, he had the lowest of lows. And God still used him. I mean, he could have crawled in that hole and God said, well, you know what? I've got another prophet in the next town. But God doesn't. He works with Elijah. He meets him where he is. He has to reconvince him that he did the same thing to Moses. You're the one. Well, I can't talk. Well, I'll send your brother next. Well, I, I may go to him, but what am I going to say? Who, what, who do I say you are? Well, just tell him I am sent you. Next question. And I mean, Moses just has, David, same thing. They just, they get into their own heads and they begin to convince themselves that they are inadequate. And that, amazingly, God does his best with inadequate. I mean, he does his best with the ones who are the lowest of low. And so his best work's going to come now from Elijah hitting this deep depression, God's going to be like, get up, you got work to do. And he's going to show Elijah in the next few chapters just how powerful he can be. Uh, he does that by solving his loneliness and sending Elijah, Elisha to him, which is really kind of neat. It's kind of neat, too, because it shows that we're, we're not promised a perfect life and that everything's going to be easy, but God will provide for us. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's neat to see how the angel came and prepared the food. And so, like, we will struggle with hard times and hardships in our life. But maybe it's not going to be an angel preparing food for us. But God will put people in our lives and put put situations and things that will happen to us. And I think it's neat. Here recently, you know, I've met people and, and I've seen, like, wow, you know, I think you've come into my life for a reason and you're blessing me mm-hmm. and I'm going to learn from you and I think that that's a neat way that God works. Absolutely. And he's going to use Elisha to do 
some great things too, but they would have such a great relationship. Um, let's go to verse 11, because this is where it really gets good. He, you know, he says, I alone am left. Take my life. I am worth. I'm the only one. Nobody loves me. Woe is me. Verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Get out of the cave. Get off your rear end. Quit laying there and complaining. I need you to leave. I need you to exit the cave and stand on the mountain. And he probably was so deep in this cavern, he probably couldn't even see the light. The people who are extremely depressed will shut off their windows and their doors and they will, they will you know, put their phone on silent and they just don't want to be bothered. Just leave me alone. I just want to sit here in my misery. And sometimes it actually feels good to people to just sit in your misery because, you know, I, I just don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to sit here and just cry, you know, put on a Hallmark movie and bring me a box of Kleenexes. I don't care. I'm just so sad. I'm just so lonely. Nobody loves me. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not going to return texts. I'm just going to. And God says, get up and go stand on the outside of the cave. Get up, go outside of the mountain and stand still. So verse 11, pick up there. It says, and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. So this wind rips through, this hurricane wind rips the mountain apart, but God wasn't in the wind, okay? Then it says, after the wind, an earthquake, so that earth shakes and breaks apart even more. And it says, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Now this again, remember the last time he had fire come down from God, he watched the mount, the whole uh, in, in chapter 16 and 17, he watched that, that sacrifice get consumed. So now he sees this huge fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So God sends all these things to him. And then when he finally, he's, he's looking out the hole, he decides to step out of that cave, the small voice is where God was present. And it, it, it's like it's a whisper. And he is so overcome with emotion, he buries his face in his mantle. Now that mantle is pretty important, by the way. In a few chapters, he's going to take that mantle and he's going to strike the water and part the sea. And then he's going to hand that off to Elisha. So don't miss that detail. That little, we forget the little things. But the mantle is he buries his face. That same garment that would bring hope to Elisha is part of his sadness in this moment. <clears throat> and so he buries his face. And then God's going to give him a good little talk. You know, he said, what are you doing here? What are you really doing here? Same question. What are you doing? Verse 14 and he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophet with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Sound familiar? He has the same statement he'd said before. He, he cannot change the narrative. He has created a reality that he cannot shake. Even in the presence of a still small voice and God on the mountain of God, he cannot convince himself of anything else. He still believes the lies. He believes the lies, and that is his reality. So notice what God says. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you should anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. 
And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. It shall be that whenever, whatever, whoever escapes the sword of Heziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So, he says, you got to get up and get back to work. Sometimes you have to literally shake people out of that reality. And he says, You've had enough time to sit here depressed. It's time to get to work. You've got a king to anoint. You've got another king to anoint. And you're going to appoint your successor. So if you think I'm going to lay here and die, you can't do, you've got to pass on the mantle to somebody else. You have got to continue the work that we started. And so, uh, and these are big deals. I mean, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm a worthless. No, you're an anointer of kings. Well, I don't have anybody else with me, and I'm the only prophet. I'm just, no, you're about to appoint your successor, and he's going to do great things. He's going to kill people in my name. And then, oh, there's nobody in Israel that loves you, Lord. They've broken your, your altars, and they've tore down your covenant. They don't want to follow you anymore. Nobody loves you anymore, God. And he says, you know what? i got 7,000 people that never bowed down to Baal. Why don't you go find them? And so God has to shake him out of that false reality to move him in the right direction. And, and Elijah does. He, he gets his strength. In fact, it's, it's sad that God has to kind of pump his ego a little bit before he's able to get up and go do something. He's like, you, you're an anointer of kings. Elijah, get up and go anoint the kings. And, and by the way, Jezebel and Ahab, they're not going to be kings long. He's not going to be king. She's not going to be queen. There's a new king that's going to come in and take over. And so he, he realizes that God has been doing stuff behind the scenes He's prepared two kings and he's prepared his successor while he's been in there slobbering in his mantle. God doesn't stop working just because we crawl in a hole or just because we say, oh, woe is me and this is the end. God has been working the whole time. He never stops working. Uh, he's never sleeping. You know, we, we have trouble at night and we can't sleep and we're so frustrated about stuff. Talk to God. He's up. You know, he's there. Uh, people will say, well, I can't. I can't tell anybody what I'm struggling through. Then t- talk to God about what you're struggling through. And his, his, one of his answers to Elijah is, you have isolated yourself. You need a companion. You need a friend. So go find one. And then he mentions Elisha, which we don't even know if he knew who Elisha was at this point. And the very next story, what he's going to do is he's going to go out and he's going to see him in the field. <clears throat> and he's plowing the field with his oxen. And he'll, he'll kill the oxen, make a sacrifice, and kiss his parents goodbye. And then he's going to take off with Elijah. And for what we see, he may never even return home. He's just going to follow Elijah into whatever. I mean, he, and he's not a young guy either. Well, he may be young. young he's younger than Elisha. But um, we get them confused because Elijah is going to do so many great things later. So you've got Elijah and Elisha. And both of them are going to be working hand in hand. Their names sound similar. Their miracles are very similar. And so uh, he should have thought... Uh, I need to be preparing someone else to do this job before I die. And instead, we, we don't even think about our kids or our spouse or our coworkers or our friends. We aren't thinking about anybody else but ourselves when we're in that cave. When we're in that hole, it's all about me. I don't care about anything or anyone. I just want to sit here and be miserable. And God's like, you got to think about the 7,000 people that I've been trying to get you to serve. And you, you just run and hide in a cave. And so... Uh, Elisha is going to carry on the work. He's still not done with Elijah yet. 
But that is, that is really a key thing is that if we have other people that surround us, we might not crawl into that hole so fast. Or if we get in, they can help pull us out of it. And he needed a companion. He needed somebody. Remember, he left his servant. I just want to be alone. I just... And now look what happened. So God says, you, you, got, you got to have a companion. So let's talk about relationships and friendships as we kind of summarize this and think about Elisha's role with Elijah. What are the benefits of having someone in a relationship with us that can help us in those moments of weakness? What are the benefits of having somebody like that, which he chose not to have at the time? Why did he need Elisha? Yep, they pick you up. What else do you think? <clears throat> Why is it good to have somebody in your corner? I think nine times out of ten, especially for me, I just want to be heard. You know, like, yeah. I think if you could find that person that can just listen and hear you out, then mm-hmm. get it out, and then you're done. You know, right? Without trying to fix the problem. Right. <laughs> Lack of a better term, I need somebody to hold my hair while I'm vomited, you know? I mean, I need somebody that can sit there and pass me the basket. Because that's it. You just, I just need to get it out. And, and I just need to, I need to get all this out of my system. And get, once you do, it really feels better, even though it's, it's lies and it's a false reality. Because our friend can sit there and go like, Really? You don't believe that, do you? You know, that's not, that's not the way I remember it. <clears throat> and it kind of, that conversation with someone can help us bring us back to reality. Well, and sometimes that pain can be real, mm-hmm. but you have to realize that you have so many other things to be, you know, grateful for. And right. You have so many people that love you. And, right. You know, it's just knowing that there are other people that care. Right. There was a movie not long ago, and I can't remember the name of it. Misty and I watched it. I think it was on Netflix. And it's got the girl that, she's got a potty mouth in a lot of movies. She doesn't in this one, but um, um, she's the Mike and Molly girl. What's her name? Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy. She's in it. And the guy from uh, Gulliver's Travels that was the bad guy in that, he's in a couple other movies. I forget his name. He's got a weird name, some strange French name or something. But anyways, um, what it is is it opens up and he's in like this commune. He's in like a, uh, a mental health facility and he's not taking his medicine. He's miserable. And as the movie plays out, what you find out is that they had a child that died and she was able to move forward and he wasn't. And so the movie, and I can't remember the name of it, but the movie plays out where she's just trying to get back to some normalcy and he has tried to kill himself. I mean, he did. He tried to kill himself. And so she, she's trying to help him, and he doesn't want any help at all. You know, like even the medicine he puts under his tongue, and when the nurse leaves, he takes it and puts it somewhere. He does not want, he wants to live in that misery for as long as he possibly can. And so she befriends a, a, a counselor that can help her walk through it. And it's really neat because, like, the nursery that they painted and all the furniture that they had, she, she just throws it out. She's done with it. You know, she throws it out. Have you guys seen this movie, by the way? Maybe I should stop. But <clears throat> anyways, throws it out outside the road. Well, then this family comes by and they're like, we really need, we have a child and we really need furniture. And she realizes that there are so many people that she could help that she hasn't thought farther ahead. And she has to try to convince him to get his head in the right place to come back to her. He's left her. He's abandoned her. You may have lost a child, but you didn't lose your wife. And it's, it's, it's sad, it's, it's, um, 
it's really, but it's got some really, really good parts about how two people in the same relationship can cope with something so differently. And um, there are a lot of uh, Hollywood portrayals like, uh, like that, portrayals in movies and, and, and music or in, in books and things like that. But we know people that have survived some storms, some major storms. And they, if we see somebody that's struggling and we've walked a similar road, we should reach out and say, hey, look, I've been in the cave before. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've, and I know this is a tough conversation to have, but if, if, if someone we know has contemplated taking their life and we find out that someone in the church or in the community has going through something like that, we, we ought to reach out. If, if someone has lost a spouse or a child or whatever, we should reach out and say, I have, I've been in a similar cave. It's not the same cave. It's a little different, but, but I've been in this hole and I got up out of it. And our survival story uh, may actually inspire them. And, and another thing, too, is even if you haven't gone through something similar, if you really love somebody, you don't want to leave them there. You don't want to leave them in that hole. And, and it's hard because they're going to reject you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want nothing to do with you. Just leave me alone. And you have to continue to go to them and say, well, you could try to push me away, but uh, I love you too much to leave you here. And, and just constantly, what can I do? And just sit with them and pray with them and cry with them and, and just be there for them. Uh, they're going to have to get themselves up. You can try to pull them up, but there, there comes a point. It's kind of like the, the guy we talked about a few weeks ago that was by the pool of water where Jesus comes to him and he goes, hey, what do you want? <laughs> he's like, well, I want to get in and get healed. And he's like, well, then stand up. And the guy had to physically stand up to realize he'd been healed by Jesus. And so we, we may not be able to pull somebody up, but we can sure tell them, you've still got two legs. Why don't you just stand up? And, and sometimes it's simple things. Like when my, when my great-grandmother died, I had lost two great-grandmothers before uh, that I knew and a great-great-grandfather that I knew. And so she was my last living great-grandmother. And when she passed, she was like the hub of the family. And I drove up, went to the funeral, and we were just sitting there like we didn't know what to do. All of us cousins were just sitting there. We're just depressed and sad. and They're trying to get everything ready. And I was like, you know what? Let's go see a movie. And they're like, right now? I was like, yeah, let's just, let's just get up. Let's just go see a movie. And so I took all of the cousins, and we went and watched a movie. And um, we came back. I don't even remember what it was. It doesn't really matter. But it got us out of that environment of sitting around and crying with all of our family. And it also gave the parents an opportunity while we weren't there to make some tough decisions. And um, you know, everybody's like, oh, thank you for doing that. I was like, I just couldn't sit there and cry anymore. I needed to get everybody up. I mean, we'd already had the funeral. We're just sitting there around the house, just eating the food that the church has brought and just looking at each other. And sometimes you need somebody to go, I know you're sad, I know you're depressed, but I really need your help with this project at the house. Or I, I really need your advice on this. You know, I always look to you for advice and I know you're sad, I know you're depressed, but could you just help me with this real quick? And those little things, breadcrumbs, will lead them to the outside of the cave. I think too that there's a difference between being sad and grief mm-hmm. and depression. Yeah. That's right. And I just happen to learn to adapt and move on, but it's it's not easy. And I know grief sometimes takes its time. Right. And you know, that's that's a um, subject we don't touch often in in classes and in sermons and things like that. But 
what we have to realize is that when we lose our spouse, we've lost half of ourself. So we, we, it's two becomes one. And that's not an easy thing to have to regrow half of yourself. I mean, you've, especially when you've been married a long time, you've depended on each other. You, uh, I, that's why I always say, you know, time's a thief, but I'm telling you, some people say, well, time will heal all wounds. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, time, oftentimes, if it depends, people will go, oh, well, you know, you, you, you're going to get through this. And, and I may survive, but I'm not going to be healed. There's a hole. It's like walking around with a gunshot. You know, you... Surviving and thriving. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, unfortunately... Is that the bell already? Wow. Is it? All right. That's all for this week. So uh, I will give you this. This is four suggestions to help. One, I always say just breathe. Just breathe. Um, if you if know anybody that suffers from depression or if you do, talk to your doctor about supplements and vitamins that can help or medication. Uh, one thing, if you're really depressed, stop drinking caffeine. Stop eating so much sugar. Uh, that can help and also clean your diet up. Why I'm saying that is like... I love me a donut or two. But those are some ways that we can get through this depression. Yeah. I have to eat in even amounts. I cannot eat in odd amounts. Ask Misty. I can. M&M's. Can't do it. I don't know why. Yeah. Yep. 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 What is that? I the other day, like, am I the only one? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Oh. I like it in my favorite colors. Yes. And I separate the colors. And then I eat them two by two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So pray for me. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldswrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.